0: They don't have food they need to eat. Jesus asks his disciple Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Philip is shocked by this question. He says even half a year's wages wouldn't be enough to buy them a bite. Then Andrew, another of Jesus' disciples, brings forward a small boy who has five barley loaves and two fishes, Jesus gives thanks, breaks the bread and fish, and multiplies the food to not only feed all 5,000 households, he makes so much that, there is, that they are all filled up completely, and there are 12 huge baskets of food left over. You see, God not only met their physical need for food, he surpassed that need. He fills them up, and he lavishly gives them extra God does this because he cares for their physical well-being. He cares that they are hungry, and he cares that they are going without. And the message is that he cares for us too, and he cares for the people of the UK. God provides for his people. And if you are in need of provision this morning, let's come together. Let's pray. Let's ask that God would multiply your provision. But come and speak to us. See how, as Gateway Church, we can help serve you and bless you in this difficult and trying time. But what we will come to read is that whilst Jesus cares for their physical need, whilst he miraculously does something about their physical need, his primary concern is for their spiritual need. And what we will read is that he does something about this as well. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6, and we're going to read from verses 25 to 59. And it says this, "'When they found him on the other side of the lake, "'they asked him, "'Rabbi, when did you get here?' "'Jesus answered, "'Very truly I tell you, "'you are looking for me, "'not because you saw the signs I performed, "'but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. "'Do not work for food that spoils, "'but for food that endures to eternal life, "'which the Son of Man will give you. "'For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval.'" Then they asked him, "'What must we do to do the works God requires?' Jesus answered, "'The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent.'" So they asked him, "'What sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you?' "'What will you do?' "'Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. "'As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat.'" Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble amongst themselves, saying, He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate the manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. You see, I've entitled the first bit of this message, Temporary Bread, okay? Now, hunger is something that we have all experienced, isn't it? Even if we aren't in a position of food poverty today, we have all had a reason reason where for some some point in time we weren't able to eat. Maybe you've been at work and your diary has just been back to back, all these inconsiderate people booking meetings during my lunch break, meaning that I can't have lunch. Or maybe you've done a huge amount of exercise and you are famished at the end of it. You are hungry. Or maybe you have intentionally fasted. You have given up a meal with the intention of praying and devoting that time to God. Maybe you're here this morning and you are rushing out the door. You're trying to get the kids dressed and you have skipped breakfast. And it's not quite lunchtime yet, but you are really starting to think, I just wish I'd had that banana. You see, being hungry affects your decisions, doesn't it? You know, how many of you have done the food shop on an empty stomach? It's 6.30 p.m. on a Friday evening, you're tired after a busy week at work, you are hungry. Let's be honest, you're probably hangry at this point. You've gone into the shops to get food and milk, you've come out with pizza, strawberries, ice cream, and if you're like me and you shop at Lidl's, you've probably come out with a brand-new lawnmower at the same time. (laughs) You see, the thing is, when we have a food craving, when we are hungry for something, we go after it, don't we? And yes, we can exercise self-control. We don't need to go after everything that we desire, but we do have to eat, don't we? If we don't eat, we will eventually die. Our bodies need food. They need energy and sustenance to live and function well. And whilst we all know that we need to eat food to survive, I want to propose that we need to eat spiritually as well, that in the same way that we were made with a desire and need for food, we have a desire and need to spiritually be filled as well. We have a spiritual hunger that needs to be met. And whilst Jesus is concerned with your physical need, he is significantly more concerned with your spiritual need. What do I mean by spiritual hunger? I want to propose that spiritual hunger is a longing and a desire for something greater than yourself. There is a deep need within you that as of yet hasn't been met. Your life, your experiences have still left you with a sense of longing for more. My eldest daughter, Evie, has celiac disease, which means that she cannot eat um, traditional or or real bread. She's had this since she was about six years old, and so Evie is too, too young to remember what real bread tastes like. Now... Don't get me wrong, I'm really thankful for gluten-free bread. I'm thankful that she has something to eat. And I'm thankful that for so many of you here that I also know are celiac or have intolerances, that we have, even as our communion table, we have gluten-free bread that you can eat. But there is something very unsatisfying about gluten-free bread. It's not crusty, you can't tear it, it doesn't have that wonderful, rich smell that that real bread has. And I feel that for some of you here today, you are spiritually living off this gluten-free bread and you know that you haven't found the real deal. But, have you come here today looking for Jesus to meet this need, or do you want something else from him? In verse 26, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You see, the followers of Jesus wanted something from him. They wanted the provision that he brings. They didn't have to be convinced that he could provide because they'd witnessed it, they'd experienced it, they'd eaten it. What is it that you are going after? What is it that hungers inside you? Where do you find your satisfaction and fulfilment? Where, do where does your mind wander when you think of your perfect life? You know, I was, uh, probably a couple of months ago, I was at an elders' prayer meeting, and I was chatting with some of the guys, and one of the guys says to me that his neighbour has just been made redundant. And this neighbour had a really, really good job, got paid lots of money, and got a very, very generous golden handshake. And so this guy, who's now in his mid-40s, will have no mortgage and probably doesn't need to work again. And I was thinking, wow, wow, isn't that the dream? Isn't that the dream? And I must say, I am extremely grateful for my brothers in Christ who will lovingly give me a dose of reality when I take my sights off of Jesus. And thankfully, in that moment, Gordon Carter steps in and he says, whoa, don't long for this. Don't long to be free from work. Work is a gift to us from God. We're called to work and to do so for the glory of God. Gordon says to me, he says, I've seen seen too many young men in these situations who have just become lost, and they lose their purpose because they have no work. This isn't a good thing. Don't long for it. And in that moment, I was uh, thankfully realigned with Christ. In that brief moment, I was tempted to look to the gift and not the giver. I could hear my own thoughts going, you know, if I could just have then I would be satisfied, then I would be fulfilled. Or maybe the more Christian way of putting this would be, Jesus, if you would just do this, then I'd have everything that I need. And so what is your, if I could just have this morning? Mm. You see, Jesus is both our supplier and our saviour. But we must remember the greatest of which is that he is our saviour. If all of our prayers and all of our needs are focused on his material benefits, we lose sight of what is really on offer on us on offer to us. John Piper in his book A Hunger for God says The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the prime time drivel of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognisable and almost incurable. What he is saying here is don't make the good things the ultimate thing enjoy God's blessing. If God gives you money and you have a nice house, enjoy it. If God has blessed you with a nice car, enjoy it. If God has provided for you to go on the holiday of a lifetime, have a wonderful time and know that me and Hannah collect Starbucks mugs from around the world. (laughs) But don't make these things the ultimate thing. When we think of bread, when we eat bread, which I assume probably most of us will do today, we are momentarily filled, aren't we? The bread satisfies us for a moment. But that lovely, soft, fresh bread of today is dry and hard tomorrow and eventually goes mouldy and is good for nothing. (laughs) You see, when Moses was leading God's people and they were in the wilderness, God miraculously provided for the manna, which was bread from heaven. Every day this manna would appear on the ground and they would eat. They were told not to store up the manna and to trust that God would provide it for them every day when they needed it. But some of the people didn't listen and they stored up the manna instead and they found the next morning that it was full of maggots and it began to smell. You see, if we hold too tightly to the gifts and provision of God, something that was meant for our goods starts to smell and becomes bad, doesn't it? You see, Jesus in this passage is pointing us to something greater, and that is true bread. Verse 32 said, "'Jesus said to them, "'Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, "'but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven.' For the bread of God is the bread that came down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see, in this passage, Jesus reframes the gift, the giver, and its purpose. What we see here is that God gives true bread, bread from heaven, which gives life to the world. And what is this heavenly bread? If it's not manna, if it's, if it's not God's material provision to us? Verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. You see, this is the first of seven, I am, declarations by Jesus. The significance of which takes us back to Moses, So before Moses had really started his ministry, he was tending sheep in the wilderness. And God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And in that, Moses is charged to go to Pharaoh and demand that God's people who are kept in slavery are set free. When Moses says to God, who shall I say has sent me? God tells him, I am who I am. Tell the people I am has sent you. You see, Jesus here is declaring that he is God. I am the bread of life. In order for you and I to eat, something else must die. Wheat must be cut down and made into flour. An animal must be killed for its meat. In order for us to live, something else has to die. Or alternatively, we would die. So how is it that Jesus is the bread of life that we may eat and not die? It is because he has already died. Jesus went to the cross and died so that we might live. Jesus, the bread of life sent from heaven, died on the cross taking our sin upon himself. 1 John 3 tells us that Jesus laid down his life as a ransom for many. In Romans 6, it tells us that the wages of sin is death. You see, Jesus died to pay the price for our sin. He died so that we might receive life. His body was broken and his blood was spilled. And he did this because sin has separated us from God. Without Jesus dying in our place, we could never feast at the banquet table of his love. But now we can. If you know you need spiritual life, if you are hungry and thirsty today, Jesus tells us, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You can believe in Jesus today and know satisfaction like no other. But, But what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to become a Christian? Verse 53, Jesus then said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man... And drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. So my my middle daughter, Kaylee, you may or may know, but she is a type 1 diabetic. Now this means that um, without insulin, She cannot survive. Insulin is literally life-saving medication for her. And um, I remember when she was diagnosed with, uh, with, with, with diabetes, my biggest fear is that her blood sugar would go really low in the night. And this is because we have to perfectly work out the number of carbohydrates to the amount of insulin that she needs, and no matter how hard you try, you will never, ever get it completely spot on. And I used to be fearful that her blood sugar would go so low in the night that she she could pass out and eventually you could die if you didn't have enough uh, blood or glucose going to your brain. But thanks to the wonders of modern medicine and modern technology, she has what is called a dexicon. Now, this is a little device on her arm, and whenever her blood sugar goes low, no matter where I am in the world, my phone will give me this warning, this alarm. And so when her blood sugar is low, this siren goes off, and it's telling me to pay attention and to take action. And you see, this verse starts very truly, and this is the fourth and final very truly in this passage. And when Jesus says that he is marking out his words of significance and importance to us, he wants you to pay attention. This should be like an alarm trying to get your attention this morning. Jesus is not just reaffirming what he has already said, he is doubling down in an even stronger way. And this is because he really wants to drive the point home. Now, this is obviously metaphorical, but whatever Jesus is trying to say to us is clearly important. Clearly, he wants his disciples and followers to understand the meaning of his words. Now, you would be forgiven here for thinking that Jesus is talking to us about communion. For those that aren't familiar, communion is what we have on our tables behind me and at the back. Uh, The bread represents Jesus' body, the wine represents Jesus' blood, and we are instructed to take communion whenever we meet as God's people, and to do so in remembrance of Jesus and what he has done. And here at Gateway Church, we take communion uh, almost every single week. But this passage is not pointing you to communion. This isn't a stark reminder that you need to take the bread and wine in remembrance of what Christ has done, Bear in mind that the Last Supper hadn't even happened at this point. In fact, it's the opposite. Communion should point us to passages of Scripture like this. There is no ritual or work that you can do in order to achieve salvation and life from Jesus. We cannot be saved by simply taking communion or going to church or being baptized. These things are good things. These things are great things, but in and of themselves, they will not save you. Jesus says this in verse 29, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. This isn't a works-based religion, but it is a faith-based relationship Mm -hmm. with Jesus. You see, you cannot save yourself through good works. You cannot earn what you are looking for. You need to believe in the one who was sent. I said earlier... That we need to look to the giver and not the gift. But this is the one exception because Jesus is both the giver and the gift. He gave himself in order to save us. Jesus reframes the gift and the giver and its purpose because it is all about him. So what is the very truly point that you need to hear today? When we eat and drink, we take something into the very core of our bodies, don't we? Our food and drink is broken down and it permeates every part of your body. Jesus is saying that you need to take me into your innermost being, into the core of your very life. Jesus isn't an add-on to our lives. He isn't some addition to make us feel warm and fuzzy at Christmas or Easter. My friends, this is a warning against nominal Christianity. This is a warning about keeping Jesus at arm's length. Jesus is saying you need him to permeate every part of your life. You need to take him inside yourself. Your deepest, darkest thoughts, your every desire of your heart, everything that makes you you needs to be transformed by Jesus. You need Jesus in your workplace. When you work, you work with purpose for the glory of God, bringing order out of chaos and doing good to the world around us. Let Jesus reframe your work for his glory and watch the incredible sense of purpose that follows. For those of you that are in education, study and work hard, knowing that God has a plan and purpose for your life. Don't compromise and give in to the pressures of the world, but let Jesus permeate your life. What about your marriage? For those of you that are married, marriage between a husband and a wife points us to Jesus, doesn't it? Husbands are called to lay down their lives for their wives, and we see this in Jesus dying for his bride, the church. What about parenting? Parenting isn't just about meeting the material needs of our children. It isn't just about ensuring that they have the latest iPhone and designer trainers and that they have the best experiences in life. It is about directing their hearts toward God, teaching them to know and be content in Jesus. Jesus wants to get into your friendships and relationships. He even wants to get into your finances. Jesus wants you to be free from the love of money, knowing that the material will not satisfy the eternal longing within you. Mm. Jesus wants to permeate your life so that he becomes the one true desire of your heart. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Mm. Can you say today that you have taken Jesus into your life in this way? See, for the believer here today... My question or response to you is, have you become focused on the gift and not the giver? Do you need to come afresh to Jesus, realign your eyes this morning? What is it we do when we are hungry? We eat. We need to eat. But let's make sure that we are eating the right things. Let's come and feast again at the table of his love. And experience the fulfillment and satisfaction of an intimate relationship with our maker. If you are here today and you know that you haven't accepted Jesus into your life, you haven't taken him into the very core of who you are, you haven't truly given over your life to him and you know that you are spiritually hungry, you know that you need more than the temporary bread that life has offered you then come today, believe in Jesus, and allow him to change your life forever. Allow him to meet your deepest needs and enjoy the overflowing of blessing that comes with it. You are invited to feast at the table of his love this morning. Jesus doesn't want to get into the center of your life because he wants to meddle or hinder you. He does this because he loves you and he cares for you and he has your best in mind. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Let me just pray for us as we, as we go back into worship. Yeah. Father, I thank you that you are so good. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you, Lord God, that you, you don't leave us with the material. You don't leave us with the things that will never truly satisfy us. Lord, you gave yourself the one true bread of heaven so that we might be filled, that we might know life in its fullness. Father, I thank you that through your death, through your sacrifice, that we can come to you. And Lord, I pray now, would you help us, help us to enjoy feasting on you this morning, to enjoy your love, to enjoy your goodness, and to be refreshed and reminded of what it is you have done and achieved for us. God, we thank you. Thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. Help us to enjoy you as we feast this morning. Amen.